Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Well, I might have to do some dancing in my new Chuck Taylors. What do you think? My daddy day shoes, I wore these in middle school. Can you believe that? I just want you to know, I played basketball on Thursday. There was a 23-year-old that guarded me. Couldn't stay with me. Couldn't stay with me. 52. Listen, listen, you get old, right? But it's amazing how much more you can accomplish as an old person. Come on, can I get an amen from the old people? Amen. Amen. Today we are finishing our series on You Ask For It. Somebody said, well, this series is going to have to go on for 100 weeks. It looks like there's 100 topics, right? Well, we just limited it to four. Uh, Fike and I were talking about bringing it back next year, so we'll talk about that in September and address other questions that you might have. Over these four weeks, we talked about, you know, these non-controversial topics like gender and sexuality, right? We talked about biblical authority, where is the final say in your life, and Pastor Micah did a magnificent job with that. And then last week, we talked about parenting, and we got into these very challenging topics, right? Well, today, we're going to talk about good witches and false prophets, Because there is a growing trend in our society, and especially in the Evangelical Church of America, to buy into half-truths. And we're going to parse today, and and we're going to discuss today, and I I think you'll find it very interesting in this uh, article that I saw this week in the Christian Post. The subtitle is, Texas Public Universities Offering Women's Studies Courses on witchcraft and worship of the devil. So we have to ban the Bible from schools, right? We got to get rid of the Ten Commandments out of the schools, but we need to offer classes on how to worship the devil and how to engage in witchcraft. And I won't read this article to you, but it is very curious to me. And they asked Texas Tech University, which is the first school in Texas, Uh, to offer this, to give a response, and of course they wouldn't uh, give a response. Uh, It is a growing trend in our society, and uh, my daughter, Anne-Larie, here this morning attends Grand Canyon University, a Christian school, uh, where there are many uh, students that would proclaim Jesus Christ as their Savior, but would say, I'm a good witch, and I practice these sort of things. And so today we're going to unpack some of this because believe it or not, in the Bible, there is a story of a king of Israel who went to a good witch. And God's going to talk to us about that. And I want you to understand as we get into this today that just because something works doesn't mean you should do it. And a lot of times evangelical Christians in America tend to be very pragmatic, right? 
If something works, then it must be okay. It must be of God. If you get uh, your out your intended result, then it must be okay. And I want to encourage you that sometimes in your life, you will make certain decisions and get the results you're looking for, but go about them in the wrong way. And that's what we're going to unpack today. Engaging in things that uh, quite honestly influence our lives in ways that uh, after they've influenced our lives, we can't take them back. Recently, I was in a conversation with one of my uh, pastor friends, Armin Summer, and Armin uh, directed me toward an article about something that I want to talk to you about today because it's growing in our society and growing in our evangelical Christian churches. And it's this concept of moralistic therapeutic deism. You're going to go, what in the world is that? Moralistic therapeutic deism. And I want to encourage you today to take your programs, take your Bible, take your internet device. I want to encourage you to share the service today, to be a virtual evangelist, to invite others. I want to welcome those uh, online. I'm sure uh, there's many out there that are traveling, enjoying their time. Thank you for joining in with us today. I want to give you a definition. You can see this uh, in your program, in your U version as well, if you're watching uh, or tuning in through the electronic version. Moralistic therapeutic deism, or MTD, is an accurate reflection of society based on the core belief that the primary goal of life is to be happy and feel good about oneself. This is evidence in most people striving to adhere to moralistic therapeutic deism to justify their behaviors, life choices, and actions. Now, those are big words, big definition. What is moralistic therapeutic deism? I want to give you five principles here, five traits. And what I want you to understand is what is sweeping into the Church of America, the Evangelical Church of America, are these five traits into conservatism. And what you're going to see in all five of them is that they all have half-truths to them. And so what that means is uh, when, you, when you see this at first glance, you're going to think to yourself, well, what's wrong with that? And so I want to encourage you, as I read this morning in my devotions and in 2 Corinthians, that Satan disguises himself or masquerades himself as an angel of light. Don't ever forget that. Satan comes to us as an angel of light. And he tries to present to us, like he did to Eve in the Garden of Eden, did God not say... And when he came to Jesus and he started confronting Jesus, what did he do? He misquoted scripture. He misused scripture. It's so amazing. The enemy will use whatever you give him. And if you're trying to live a, a good life, if you're trying to live a moral life, if you're trying to live the life that God has called you to live and bring glory to his name, I want you to understand the enemy is not going to leave you alone. And he's going to come to you and have truths. And here they are. Number one, God created the world and watches over us. You go, well, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. It's just a half truth. It leaves out the other half. You know what the other half is? He is sovereign over all the details of our lives. 
See, a lot of the, of the fathers of our nation were deist. You go, is that good or is that bad? It's actually a half-truth. Deism is the belief that God created the world, set it in motion, takes his hands off of it, and has nothing to do with the details that occur in your life. And that's where number one comes from. And I want you to understand that God did create the world. He does watch over it, and he is intimately involved in the details of your life. You say, give me an example. The Bible says that before one day was, he knew them all to be. The steps of a righteous person are ordered by the Lord. I could go on and on. God is not just a God who created you, who's watching from a distance. He's intimately among us, the Bible says in the book of Acts over and over again. Number two, we're to be nice to one another. Now, I'm going to talk more about this as we get in, but there is a growing trend uh, in American Christianity to trade kindness for nicety. And there's a huge difference between the two. You say, well, what's the big difference? Here's the big difference. Kindness is a fruit of the spirit. Nicety isn't. Nicety will let you stay at the party. Kindness requires you to speak truth. And we'll get more into that. Number three, God's will is for you to be happy. You go, well, is it God's will for me to be unhappy? (laughs) See, that's where half-truths get us in trouble. You say, well, is God just, is he just like, I've got to do something today. Steve seems like he's in a good mood. <laughs> no. No, but God's primary concern with your life is not whether or not you're happy. It's whether or not you're obedient. Because obedience produces what? Holiness. And holiness produces joy, fruits of the Spirit. And joy is a lot better than happiness because happiness is tied to happenstance. Happenstance. Number four, God is there for us when we have a problem. You go, well, (laughs) are you telling me God's not there for us? I mean, no, God is. He's there for us. This is another half-truth. But do you understand that God didn't create us just so he could be there for us. God created us so that he could be in relationship with us so that we could bring glory to him and good to others. That's what the Bible teaches. And what's interesting, these are so subtle, but they are, they are growing trends and there are universal religions that basically are being recrafted and reshaped. Number five, good people go to heaven. Who decides if they're good? Who makes that determination? Do good people go to heaven? Well, of course they do. But what does that mean? See, Here's the thing. People who go to heaven are people who have realized they're separated from God. They need a Savior, and his name is Jesus. And so another half-truth. These are very subtle. They're very real. Now, look at what this article out of Outreach Magazine had to say recently. 
Being positive and accepting has become more important in the evangelical community than being holy as the Bible commands. The actions and beliefs of evangelical Protestants do not always align. Catch this. Six out of ten evangelicals who strongly believe reading the Bible contributes to positive mental health still do not read it daily, while 26% do not even read it monthly. This is taken from what's called gray matter research. So here's my question to you. Where do you get your direction for your life? And from whom? Where do you get your direction in your life? And from whom? Now, you don't have to be like me and do your devotions in the morning. But I will tell you this, and I don't know what your experience is, Tony, but as my day wears on, the voices in my life get louder. And I'm not talking about my wife and my children, okay? <laughs> I'm talking about all the competing things and responsibilities and requirements and details, uh, my fatigue, you name it. All of those things get louder as every day goes on for me. And what I love about the morning is that his mercies are new. When? Oh, in the morning. That's interesting, isn't it? And I'm not, I'm not passing judgment on you doing your devotions at night, okay? If you're a night owl, stay at it, okay? But I'm just telling you that, that even Jeremiah, who lived, I think, one of the hardest Christian lives anyone has ever lived on this earth, he was like, you know what I found? His mercies are new each morning. And great is his faithfulness. And it is amazing to me that when I read God's word in the morning and then I go through the course of my day, it is amazing to me how that voice that I heard early in the morning just kind of guides the steps of my day. And as I said to one of my brothers in Christ that I love very dearly, but sometimes we have to say very difficult things to each other. I had to look him square in the eye in one of the darkest hours of his existence. And I had to say to him, what you're going through is difficult, but you are making it more difficult. And I want to encourage you to think about your life. And I want to encourage you to think about where in your life are you going through difficulty? And is there a chance that you're making it more difficult than it has to be? And is there a chance you go, uh, well, I, I, you know, I did this and he didn't do that and I, I did this and he didn't do that. Okay, well, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not faint. They shall walk and not grow weary. I just think it's interesting that as a 52-year-old man, every time I get done playing basketball, and you may think this is silly, but when I sit down, I go, thank you, Jesus. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why. But I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for blessing my life in ways that are silly, that don't matter to eternity. But they matter to me. 
And see, that's how involved God is in our lives, is that he cares about details that maybe there's not supposedly a chapter in verse four, but he cares about and he's engaged in them and he's interested in you experiencing joy in them. And I just want you to know that when uh, when a three-pointer goes through the basket, there are a few Marty things that make me happier than that. You know, and one of the things that makes me happy is when I sit down and the 23-year-old's like, oh, I'm just out of shape. And I go, yeah, you are. (laughs) You might ought to get with it. The world is more combative now. Have you noticed? If you don't have an opinion, the world will beat one into you. We don't live in a nicety society anymore. There are more sources of truth. There's growing trends uh, that we're going to see. And so today we're going to answer this question. What does the Bible say about good witches and false prophets? About them directing our lives. And we're going to begin with the story in 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 3. Meanwhile, Samuel had died. That was the prophet Samuel. And all Israel had mourned for him. He was buried in Ramah, his hometown. And Saul had banned from the land of Israel all mediums, those who consult the spirits of the dead. And King Saul had banned all mediums, which are fortune tellers, good witches, bad witches, horse grope readers, tarot card readers, those that channel spirits like Ouija boards and games and movies like Dungeons and Dragons. Well, I don't know if you know much about any of that, but I want to read you just a little bit. I pulled this off the internet, so it's got to be true, right? Off of Wikipedia. The Ouija, also known as a spirit board or talking board, it's a flat board marked with the letters of the Latin alphabet. The numbers zero to nine, the words yes and no, occasionally hello and goodbye, along with various symbols and graphics. It uses a small heart-shaped piece of wood or plastic as a movable indicator to spell out messages during a seance. A seance is when you are getting in connection with the dead. Participants place their fingers uh, on the what's called the planchette or the small heart-shaped piece, and it moves about the board to spell out words. Ouija is a trademark of Parker Brothers. It's just like you could go to... Uh, basically a children's department or where you get board games and you can buy this. But it's often used uh, generically to refer to any talking board. Spiritualists in the United States believed that the dead were able to contact the living and reportedly used a talking board very similar to a modern Ouija board at their camps in the U.S. state of Ohio in 1866 or 18, excuse me, 86 to ostensibly enable faster communication with spirits. Following its commercial introduction by businessman Elijah Bond, on 1 July 1890, the Ouija board was regarded as an innocent parlor game unrelated to the occult in American spiritualist. But it was popularized during World War I. Isn't that interesting? Paranormal and supernatural beliefs associated with Ouija have been criticized by the scientific community and are characterized as pseudoscience. 
the action of the board can most easily be explained by unconscious movement of those controlling the pointer. A psychophysiological phenomenon known as the itemeter effect, mainstream Christian dominations, including Catholicism, have warned against the use of the Ouija board, considering their use satanic practice, while other religious groups hold that they can lead to demonic possession. Occultists, on the other hand, are divided on the issue, with some claiming it can be a tool for positive transformation, while others reiterate the warnings of many Christians and caution inexperienced users against it. The popular belief that the word Ouija comes from the French and German word for yes is a misconception. The name is taken from a word spelled out, true story, on the board when its inventor asks a supposed ghost to name itself, which, by the way, that would be biblical because Jesus uh, asked the demons in different people their names. Who are you? What are we going to talk about here is real stuff. It happens and it's real, it works, but that doesn't mean God approves. And we'll see here that, that King Saul is going to basically have a seance. He's going to basically have a Ouija board. There's a growing trend among uh, the younger generation with Dungeons and Dragons. And Dungeons and Dragons is role-playing uh, and it is channeling of spirits uh, and I want to encourage you that if you engage this sort of thing, you are welcoming spirits into your life besides the Holy Spirit. And if you invite spirits, you go, well, you know, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Right. But do you understand that when you welcome other spirits into your life, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman, and you are inviting demonic activity into your life. And when you invite these things into your life, you have to deal with what comes from it. And what comes from it uh, is when you have paranormal experiences, you experience, you ready? Paranoia. When you have paranormal experiences, you experience paranormia. Uh, say the word for me. There you go. And so you have to be careful because we live in a day and age, and it, this should not be lost on you. We live in a day and age where mental health is out of control. I mean, it's out of control, okay? And that's not passing a judgment saying that you're a horrible person if you struggle with mental health. What I'm saying is, is that the spiritual world is tied to your mental health. The Holy Spirit is tied to your mental health. Demons are tied to mental health. And what you choose to emotionally expose yourself to will determine how you are impacted emotionally. And you have to make a decision whether you're going to engage in role-playing and you're going to get involved in seances and you're going to get involved in things. Because listen to me, the spiritual world is real. And if you engage it, whether in evil ways or in righteous ways, you're going to see it. You're going to experience it. You're going to begin to feel um, the darkness. And if you engage in things that allow it to control you, you're going to begin to experience things and be controlled by things that you're not going to know what to do with. And those are choices that, that you make, that your loved ones make. So look at verse 4. 
The Philistines set up their camp at Shunem, and Saul gathered at the, all the army of Israel and camped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the vast Philistine army, he became, somebody say, frantic and what? With fear. He asked the Lord what he should do. You go, well, that, that's a good approach. Yes, it is a good approach, but here's the problem. He had been disobedient, and I find this to be true in our lives a lot. We want to be disobedient to what God is telling us to do, and then we expect him to bail us out in difficult times. And I just want you to know that sometimes he does. But I also want you to know that sometimes God understands that he has to pull back his hand for you to learn lessons in very difficult ways. And when we decide to walk in disobedience as Saul did, because Saul didn't do what God asked him to do, so he was walking in disobedience. He was walking in disobedience, asking God to bless him. And I want you to understand that you have to first begin with, God, forgive me. And God says, I do. And then the second statement is, now bless me. Now bless me. But what is it in your life that, quite honestly, you're walking in a disobedience to God and you are tired of telling him you're sorry? And God wants you to say, no, no, no. I will never get tired of you coming to me for forgiveness. That's why my son came and died for you. And so what is it in your life? What is it in my life? The story goes on. He asked the Lord what he should do, but the Lord refused to answer him either by dreams or by sacred lots or by the prophet. Saul then said to the advisors, find a woman who's a medium so I can go and ask her what to do. Do you know what's interesting about this passage? You ready? Disobedience begets, somebody say it, more disobedience. Isn't that Interesting. See, your disobedience eventually is going to lead you to a disobedience you never planned on. If somebody would have come to King Saul and said, hey, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get in a tight spot and you're going to go see a witch that you banned from the land. Saul would have said, you're an idiot. See, disobedience begets, you ready? Idiotness. Yeah. And see, what, what sin will do, and this is how sin works, works this way in all of our lives, and, and all of us have different flavors of sin that get us there. But sin works the exact same way in all of our lives. Sin up front gives us what we want to take from us eventually what we never want to lose. Right? And so sin will give you what you want so that it can take from you what you hope to never lose. 
And so in your life, you're making choices, you're making decisions. And, and if you continue to walk in disobedience, eventually it's going to beget more disobedience. And that more disobedience is going to lead you somewhere you never intended to go. And it won't be funny. See, sin is fun and sin is, makes you laugh and sin makes you happy on the front end. And it just, it just strokes your ego and it just tells you everything that you want to hear. And as it's sinking its claws into you, it is preparing to destroy all the good of your life. So look at what it says here. His advisors replied, there's a medium at Endor. There's a fortune teller. And see, I'm sure Saul's thinking like this, and we don't know for a fact, but I'm making an assumption that Saul is thinking like this. Well, come on, God, you want me to lead and you won't tell me what to do. Come on, tell me what to do. God's like, I'm not going to tell you what to do. And you know what's interesting is, uh, and and I don't want to get too far into this, but you you, you have a child that's going through something. Tell me what to do, God, and God won't tell you. He's silent. You say, how come? Could it be? Because over here in another part of your life, you're walking in disobedience. You won't listen to him. You won't listen to him. And see, because you won't listen to him, you won't talk to him about this area of your life. You're over here. No, no, this is what's important. You know, I mean, my job, you got you to talk to me about my job. You got to talk to me about my child. You got to talk to me about my health. You got to talk to me about this. I found myself a few weeks ago. I was like, Lord, Lord, about this for the church. And the Lord said, Kelly, do you think you love the church more than I do? I'm like sitting up for a second. Forgive me, Lord. And I kid you not, within hours, what I was concerned about was visibly solved. Isn't it interesting? It's interesting when we stop taking up a reproach against God about the things we want him to do something about and we take notice of who he is. It's amazing how our circumstances either don't matter as much anymore or change immediately. So Saul disguised himself. He's going to keep going down this hole by wearing ordinary clothing instead of his royal robes. Did you catch that? Wow. Wow. These are the actions of a desperate man that's willing to give up his anointing, his calling, in order to get the answer that he needs because of his frantic mental health. Then he went to the woman's home at night, accompanied by two of his men. Did you catch that? He went at night. You trying to get me killed, the woman demanded? You know that Saul's outlawed all the mediums and all consult the spirits of the dead. Why are you setting a trap for me? But Saul took an oath and then, in the what? Somebody say it. Huh. Let me say it like this. No, no, if you'll just sin with me in the name of Jesus, I'll protect you. That's gone on a lot. Saul took an oath in the name of the Lord, promised as surely as the Lord lives, nothing bad's going to happen to you for doing this. Huh. Oh, when did he become God? 
Do you see the progression of what happens here? When you walk in disobedience, you give up your calling and your royalty, you give up your purpose, and then you start talking like you're God himself. No, no, don't worry. Don't worry. If you sin, it'll be okay. I'll, I'll make sure you're forgiven. Wow. The duplicity, the deception. So finally, the woman said, well, whose spirit do you want me to call up? Call up Samuel, Saul said. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed, you deceived me. You are Saul. Don't be afraid, the king told her. Isn't that interesting? Hey, don't you be afraid because I'm afraid. Just do what I need so I can figure out what to do. But don't you be afraid. Isn't this, I mean, it's just the hypocrisy is just, I mean, it's just dripping here. What do you see? I see a God coming up out of the earth, she said. Isn't it interesting that Saul did not ask the witch to talk to God Saul asked the witch to call up a human being to tell him what to do. I remember I learned this lesson very, very early on when my mother was killed. And the very next morning, I went out on the back deck of my old Kentucky home. And I was standing out there and like, Mom, what do you want me to preach? It was very clear. The Lord said, she didn't call you. And she's not going to tell you what to preach. If you want to know what to preach, ask me. Duly noted, human beings are not divine beings. You don't get to channel them. And, and don't get me wrong, and I will say this, that there was about a six to nine month period of time that I asked the Lord, Lord, would you give me permission to talk directly to my mom about things that I wish I could have said to her before she died? And I journaled that, and it's all in my journal. But I wasn't talking to her about divine guidance and wisdom. I was talking to her about my human relationship and things that I needed to say to her. And God gave me a prophetic vision uh, and took me to a moment where I saw her seated in his lap laughing and having a good time. And I had peace. She's where she's supposed to be. I'm where I'm supposed to be. And so there's nothing at all wrong with asking the Lord to allow you uh, to communicate things that you haven't had a chance to do in your grief. But that's not channeling spirits. There's a difference. Channeling spirits is I need to talk to a human being so that I can figure out what to do with my life. God says, if you want to know what to do with your life, ask me. Amen? I duly noted it that day. So what does he look like, Saul asked. He's an old man wrapped in a robe, she replied. Saul realized it was Samuel. He fell to the ground before him. Why have you disturbed me by calling me back, Samuel asked Saul. You know what's interesting about this story? It worked. It worked. I I, I can't pretend to explain to you all of this. This is bizarre, but it is in the Bible. And I want you to understand that there are things that you can do. And just because something's in the Bible doesn't mean God wants you to do it, by the way. You go, no? No, uh, we don't quote Satan, do we? And he's in the Bible. We don't quote what Satan says. We don't quote what Job's friends said because God wasn't for that. 
So there are things, do you understand, there are things in the Bible that are used to educate you. And some of the things in the Bible, God is not advocating, he's using as an example. Just because David committed adultery with Bathsheba doesn't mean we should go out and do likewise. Just because Judas betrayed Jesus doesn't mean we should go out and do likewise. And and you have to exercise discernment, one of the spiritual gifts, the discernment between spirits. And some of us are welcoming some, uh, some spirits into our lives right now in this season of our life that are going to be the undoing of our lives and our relationships. And I want to encourage you to turn back. Because I am in deep trouble, Saul replied. The Philistines are at war with me. God has left me and won't reply by prophets or dreams. So I've called for you to tell me what to do. Well, he's being honest there. I mean, this is the first honest statement (laughs) that Saul finally makes. But Samuel replied, why ask me since the Lord has left you and has become your enemy? Whoa. Boy, that is sobering. The Lord has done just as he said he would. He has torn the kingdom from you, given it to your rival David. The Lord has done this to you today because you refuse to carry out his fierce anger against the Amalekites. You know what Saul's problem was? You ready? He was nice to the fault of not obeying God's command. Isn't that interesting? He was nice. Do you understand the job of a king? He is to govern the country. He is to sovereignly do what's best for the nation, not what's best for him. We could use some civil servants like this right now, right? You don't do what's best for us. We do what's best for the nation, And Saul did what was best for him and said, forget the nation. So here's some things I want you to think about. Because we want to be nice, but then we're wrestling with obedience. So do I attend a same-sex marriage because I want to be nice, I don't want to be mean, but the Bible doesn't approve of it, so do I go anyway? Do I, do I drive someone to an abortion clinic to get an abortion even though I don't agree with what they're doing, but I want to be nice to them? Hmm. What do I do? Do I celebrate someone's gender change so that they know that I accept them, even though I know the Bible doesn't approve of that? What do I do? And as time goes on, you're going to have to decide whether to be nice or to be obedient. And I can't make that choice for you. Only you can make that choice. And these are very real things that you're going to have to live into 
in the days to come in our society. And I don't know what it's going to cost you. I don't know what it's going to cost you. But you're going to have to make choices. And you're going to have to decide whether to be nice or whether to be obedient. You say, well, does it matter if I agree? or does? No, no. It only matters what God thinks. And so are you here to represent him or are you here to be liked? Because the day of being both is over. It's over. Verse 19, what's more, the Lord will hand you the army of Israel over to the Philistines tomorrow. You and your sons will be here with me. The Lord will bring down the entire army of Israel in defeat. Saul fell full length on the ground. Look at it. Paralyzed with fright. Let me use the word we use. Panic attack. Huh. He had a panic attack. Paralyzed with fear, right? It's a panic attack. Because of Samuel's words, he also was faint with hunger, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. Paralyzed with fear. Panic attack. See, this is where a lot of Christians are today. We're paralyzed with fear. We don't know what to do. We're afraid to, um, to disappoint someone, but we're also afraid because we know that we have convictions and we know what Scripture says. So like, for example, being nice is simply this. You say what you know people want to hear. That's what nice is. You say what people want to hear. Kindness is you say it in a way that reflects the character of God, but you don't compromise the content of what has to be said. You don't have to be a jerk. You don't have to be a jerk. It's important that you be kind. But nicety is telling people what they want to hear so you can stay at the party. Kindness is telling it in a way that reflects the character of God and doesn't compromise the truth of God. And it's important to be kind. It's important to be kind. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. It requires selflessness. It requires truth. But we're forsaking truth for nicety. There's nobody more popular in Christian music right now than Lauren Daigle. And Lauren Daigle uh, has a new uh, album out. Uh, I've written some about this. And here's her statement. I just want everyone to be safe and accepted. Huh. Is that, is that the mission of the church? for everyone to be safe and accepted. Or, by the way, is the mission of the church to make sure everybody understands that accepting Jesus is what the church is all about. And his acceptance is all that matters. Our acceptance means nothing. 
And so if you want to follow Saul and make yourself God, then accept everybody. Okay? But if you want to be a Christian and live out the purpose and mission that God has given you, then share with others how they can accept Jesus because he can transform their lives, not just in this life, but forever. And if we choose to use our platforms to promote our agendas, then we will see the results play out in real life on the public stages that we create for ourselves to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. Every one of us have to make a choice. So what does the Bible say about good witches and false prophets? Two things. Number one, God disapproves. He disapproves. God does not want us going to see uh, witches. God does not want us to go have our horoscope read, uh, tarot cards. God doesn't want us to do these things. You say, how come? He wants us to trust him with our future. He wants us to come to him. I mean, I, it's as simple as that. I, I was trying to get a, <laughs> a lug nut off of a tractor tire yesterday. I was like, Lord, I need your help. And immediately it loosened. Thank you, Lord. I tell the Lord this all the time. If you do it, I'll tell everybody you did it. If you do it, I'll tell everybody you did it. That's one of the most vital ways to live. Lord, if you do this, I'll tell everybody you did it. Whatever you do, I'll tell everybody you did it. I don't want any credit. I don't want any. You know what's great about God? When you give God the credit, he lets you enjoy all the blessings. You can't handle the credit, but you sure can enjoy the blessings. And when you give God credit for the success of your life, you get to enjoy the blessings of your life. Isn't that awesome? God never said to anybody, you've been enjoying my blessings too much. Mm -mm. No. But there are many times he said, I will share my glory with no other. Do not take credit for what I did through you. Do not take credit. Number two, God will judge us for these choices. As we saw in Samuel, uh, Saul's life. So how do we know when someone's speaking truth? Look at 1 John 4, 1 to 6. We're almost done here. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Test them. Huh, it's the spirit from the Lord. To see whether they're from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world, but this you know, the spirit of God. Uh, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. The spirit of the Antichrist is always in the world. The Antichrist, I don't know if he's here yet. Number three, be sure the spirits that influence us believe Jesus is the only true God. That's why when people go, well, I'll just give you warm thoughts. Do me a favor. Don't. I'll just send positive vibes your way. Do me a favor. Don't. I don't want those spirits in my life. The only spirit I want in my life is the Holy Spirit. If you want to pray for me in Jesus' name, get after it. 
But don't give me your happy thoughts. Don't give me your positive vibes. You say, how come? Because I don't want those spirits in my life. And they're tied to antichrist spirits. I don't want them. I don't want them in my life. You go, yeah, but no. Even if they can help, I don't want their help. If God can't help me, I don't want any help. Amen? Amen. That's what a Christian is that lives by the Holy Spirit, no other spirits. 2 Timothy 3, uh, 4, 3 to 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. I believe we're there. But they're going to have itching ears. They'll accumulate for themselves teachers that will suit their own passions. Let me say it another way. Tell them what they want to hear. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into what? Which is another word is lies. Lies. Psalmist said it best, Lord, help me not lie to myself. Number four, they'll lead us into myths to suit our own passions. And that's where we're at. That's where we're at. That's where we're at. I had someone say to me, this is about as real as it gets. I was having lunch uh, a few weeks ago with someone, and they said, Kelly, can you help me understand? I saw on social media these, um, these former Christians of leaders of Vanguard that went to the same-sex ceremony, and they were praising the love of these two men, and one of them left his wife and three kids to marry this man. Can you explain that to me? <sighs> That's getting in the tall weeds now, aren't I? Wow, that's where we're at. That's where we're at. And listen, you're going to have to make decisions. But as for me and my house, the decision's already made. As for this house, the decision is already made. We will serve the Lord. Amen? amen. Come on, amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.